When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. <sighs> Aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking... I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price nine ninety nine ninety nine. 0% APR while supplies last. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 138. On this opinion, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and today we have a voice outside the FC Barcelona community, one that has certainly ingrained himself in it with some recent stuff that we'll get to later in the show. I have the pleasure to be joined by Of Sports Illustrated and Planet Football. It's Luis Miguel Etzgaray. How are you doing, Luis? I'm good, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so uh, happy to be here. And part of the reason why we were able to get this interview going with Luis was he wrote a long feature on Sergio Busquets and spent some time with him. And we're going to get to that in La Entrevista 
in the second half of the show. But first, with Liverpool just two days uh, two days away, La Gran Pregunta today, how should Barcelona handle Liverpool? This is what Luis is on the show to help me tackle. And Luis, we're going to start here by talking about the Liga trophy that Barcelona have already captured and I guess how that's going to affect the rest of their season. Where you do look at it, now that La Liga is already done, there's one more Copa del Rey match and at maximum three Champions League matches left to go and then Barcelona can take home a treble. And it seems like uh, they were talking about a lot on the uh, on Sid Lowe's podcast, the uh, Spanish football podcast, that it's almost a little bit deflating, this Liga trophy, because so much is still left on the line. You'd almost hope that this would be the last trophy they won. But Messi, with his 34 goals in league, and then rested for much of April, and Valverde, nine losses in 130 matches in his time in both La Liga, Copa del Rey, all those different things. And with all of that culminating in this La Liga trophy, it, it almost feels like Barcelona, for as dominant as they have been domestically, have still so much to play for, and their whole season will be defined going forward, as we've known since the start of the year. Yes, I, I agree with that. And, you know, as you're talking about the statistics from Ernesto Valverde under Barcelona, like it is super interesting to see sometimes that I feel he doesn't get enough representation or sort of a praise for what he's done with the club. I think, uh, you know, aside from the fact that, you know, yes, obviously you can talk about the talent in the squad with Lionel Messi and Busquets, obviously Lucho Suarez and Rakitic and, you know, that just talented, you know, sort of goes throughout the team. But, you know, it takes what well, I think what Valverde has done is he's really sort of balanced this squad and kept players like Lionel Messi happy, but also he's been able to sort of evolve from just the tiki-taka system. I mean, uh, going from the very first point of what you said, I, I do agree, you know, with Sid and his podcast a little bit that it becomes almost a, an anticlimactic sort of type of uh, title win just because, uh, you know, there's still so much more at stake. But the fact that it still remains the club looking for a treble. I mean, look at what happened with Manchester City and Pep Guardiola uh, getting knocked out out of the Champions League uh, from Tottenham. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that it's still something to be worthy about. The fact that by the end of this summer, they could say, could, operative word being could, could win the treble. And, you know, more importantly, as we look to Liverpool, I think that Barcelona definitely now, from a preview perspective, finds itself in the easiest path. I think, in terms of what everything else that's going on outside of it, right? They've already won La Liga. As you said, Copa del Rey is not too far from here. So really, Champions League is the main focal point for them. You can't say that about Liverpool right now. Obviously, as they're going for a historic return on winning the top division in, in, in England and trying to beat Manchester City with the Premier League, which is also a big thing. And take it in mind that Liverpool, and I guess we can talk a little bit more about the game itself, uh, soon, but Liverpool playing such a high press, physical game, it can take a lot on you, you know, as you saw from Atletico Madrid and La Liga, and as you can see from other teams. Yeah, I think that the twofold response that I have in my head is that one, for Barcelona winning La Liga, it seems that, and, and you could see by the t-shirts that they even handed out at the, at the ceremony, that eight of 11 La Liga titles, I had tweeted it was 10 of 16 even, and their domestic dominance of late and Barcelona making all these Copa del Rey finals in a row as well, that domestic dominance for Barcelona is defining an era, while unfortunately the Champions League defines individual seasons. And I think in the world of social media and quick takes and quick reactions and 
you know, you win a trophy and you are on to the next one so quickly. That's just the way that the media is continuing to drive the narrative in football nowadays that I think that it's hard to take that step back and appreciate domestic dominance when you're still in it, if you will. And then when it comes to the Champions League trophies, everything and the whole narrative is always about this individual European dominance. Uh, And I think that's where we kind of have to take hold of that narrative again and understand just how incredible they've been in Spain and that being Barcelona of late. And and that's irrespective of, of this being the Barcelona podcast. That's just eight and 11 is incredible in arguably a top two league in the entire world. Um, actually, I wouldn't argue that. I'm going to say that bias there that uh, people can argue the Premier League, but this year La Liga has been better than Bundesliga, Serie A, uh, Ligue 1. And I, I don't think you can argue about that. And that's why facing off against a team And again, this is just us in the media, but facing off against a team in the Premier League, they're such a force to be reckoned with as well, Liverpool, in terms of that narrative, in terms of coming in, in terms of Klopp trying to get uh, over the hill. We remember that he went to a Champions League final with Dortmund, but now he's trying to finally get over that, get to another final again, as he did a season ago as well, um, where Liverpool falls to Real Madrid. And it seems for them that they feel like they are not only a match to Barcelona, but have some unfinished business as well. But I feel like for everything that Liverpool feels, Barcelona feels it a little more. They're a little hungrier. They feel like they have a little more unfinished business in getting to this final. Um, And Liverpool also has to worry about the Premier League race as well in a way that Barcelona doesn't. So these are just those, uh, as Sidlow again always says, that these are more of the the emotion that's behind it, the emotion that goes into these games. But uh, Luis, as I said, you're one of the experts on tactics, and I think that's where uh, this match really gets broken down to. Yeah, I mean... I think this game uh, is not going to give you any surprises from a tactical perspective. We know what Liverpool is going to bring, right? We know they're going to apply a tremendous amount of high press, uh, possibly, especially the moment that a Barcelona player even shows a hint of showing their back, uh, you know, six or even seven players will start pressing in, in Liverpool's, you know, in the final third, trying to suffocate um, as much of the position that it can. Uh, you know, players like Rakitic will probably be surrounded a lot by that midfield. Uh, you know, Henderson, Fabinho, Vinaldo, um, and also you know trying to really narrow the pitch as much as they can. Players like Jordi Alba is you know such a such a weapon for Barcelona. Um, will probably you know have a handful or will have a bigger mountain to climb when it comes to this kind of Liverpool. Having said all that, Barcelona knows what's coming, mm-hmm. and Barcelona specifically makes it their point to, I mean, this is something that I was talking to Busquets. I know that we're going to talk about the piece later, but, you know, one of the things that he said was, you know, this this game of ours has changed dramatically in, in, in the last decade, not just from a tactical perspective, but from what teams and coaches demand of their own players, both physically and mentally. And what better way to sort of um, give that as an example than to look at somebody like Jurgen Klopp in Liverpool, a team that is so suffocating in their game, so cohesive when they have and don't have the ball, obviously relying on the individual genius of players like Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane, who really has been Liverpool's player of the season for me, I think. And, you know, all these things is that what Busquets talks about where Barcelona has had to adapt or, or, or at least sort of create a counter-narrative to what is coming. And I think this is going from a specific just footballing perspective, soccer perspective, this to me is going to be such a great game because it's two um, evolving, 
positive looking philosophies going against each other, obviously with the conclusion of what Lionel Messi will do by the end of two legs. Yeah, and, and I think by talking about Busquets, that's a really important uh, factor in this that we're going to talk about him in the second part of the show, but even when talking about Liverpool, it's impossible to avoid it, that people are, are they're praising Van Dijk, who's been unbelievable on that back line for Liverpool. But in the same respect, between Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, who has been, uh, as again, Allison is a top five goalkeeper potentially in the world, but I think Ter Stegen is a top two goalkeeper uh, in, in the world at the moment. And then you look at that back line, the way PK has been playing, it's hard to argue that he has been almost just as good as Van Dyke. And then Jordi Alba's probably been the best right back, I mean, left back in the world, rather. And for me, I think the defense is almost, I think it's a wash. I think it's an, an equal sign across the middle. And then those front threes, I think the front three of Liverpool might be a more cohesive unit. And you look at them as being a, um, having the advantage in terms of all three of them together. But Barcelona also have Messi and Suarez. And whether they go Coutinho or Dembele, I think that's a wash in equal signs as well. Or a slight advantage because, as, as Diego Simeone has said, Barcelona have Lionel Messi and the other team doesn't. And then in the midfield, that's the important thing, right? When you talk about uh, Henderson, who's had a, a really fantastic few seasons here, and Ronaldum, who's also pretty good as well in, in shutting the ball and doing all the things that he does, putting in the tackles, doing all the hard work, and he can also play a ball as well, the Dutch midfielder. And then whether he goes with James Milner or Naby Keita, this being Klopp, for that other midfield slot, and uh, the the Ox or Oxlade-Chamberlain has come back recently as well, so he, I think there is a, a there is one position at least in that middle three for Klopp that he has a decision to make. Uh, my money would say Naby Keita, but in the same respect, I think why Busquets is so central to this because of the way Liverpool play. It's mm. it, it works so well against the only issues we've had with Busquets this season that we've seen particularly in recent weeks where. It's one or two times that he might give the ball away, and that's what makes Liverpool most dangerous. Because I think, as we've, as I just went through, on the rest of the, the field, every other part, offense, defense, midfield, on the rest of the parts of the field, Barcelona have the the advantage. They I think they have the talent advantage there. But it's one or two little mistakes that they could make that could doom Barcelona, unless Barcelona want to tactically choose to set up, instead of like a low block, against that front three, they'd set up maybe a middle block and then try to turn them over in the midfield where you're not worrying about that that deep pass by Busquets and you try to turn Liverpool back over and make it a battle of the midfield, win that battle, and then try to strike quickly on your own. And I think that might suit them tactically a little more than absorbing some of that high pressure, trusting yourself to pass around as you always have. Now, I, I don't know. It's, it's almost a... Uh, I, but I also, in the same respect, Luis and... Uh, I don't want Barcelona to be reactive. I want them to insert their will on the game first, particularly at the camp, no, at home, insert their will on the game and make Liverpool play their game as opposed to vice versa. Yeah, I think, I, I, I totally agree. I think that, I, to me, there are two areas where this game is going to be decided. As I, I'm, I'm trying to exclude Lionel Messi here because obviously Messi is a completely different uh, subject matter here, <laughs> obviously, just like let, just like Simeone said, yep. you know, one team has Lionel Messi, the other one doesn't. So let's just let's just for a second forget about that part. To me, there are two specific areas. One is what you just talked about, which is the midfield. I think that that's an area where where Klopp is going to have to be very very smart, not smart, but he's going to have to think really hard onto who is going to sort of control that line or that triangle in order to rival against, you know, Rakitic, Busquets, Melo, etc., and see what happens in that midfield. The other side, which could be to me more important, are the fullbacks. Because um, 
Robertson and Alexander-Arnold, specifically with the way that Liverpool pushes, they, for about 60% of games, don't really act as a right-back or a left-back. They're more of a you know, full wing-back that really is just looking to provide that cross or, you know, from any part as soon as they enter the second part of the half, a second, uh, the second half or the final third. So those crosses are going to be either they need to be nullified, they need to be uh, restricted from a Barcelona point of view. I think that Clement Lenglet said in El Periodico some really good points where he was talking about, you know, to prepare for like Liverpool, you know, each player looked individually at every single opponent of Liverpool to see exactly what their favorite thing to do is on the field, etc. So, for example, when you look at Robertson, when does he cross it? At what part does he cross it from the depth of the field? How many uh, does he, does he uh, you know, pertain to take a player on when he's in trouble? Um, is he looking for the far post or the near post? All those little things are going to be very important. So, to me, the fullback battle is going to be just as important, if not more, than the midfield because that's where the width of the game or the lack thereof sort of determines a lot of the threats that come in towards Ter Stegen. So from a Barcelona perspective, they really have to make sure, and this is a huge role for Busquets, because when Busquets, when Barcelona doesn't have the ball, you see Busquets either protecting his centre-backs or going left or right to protect a sort of a, a left or right back that has alienated themselves as a result of you know trying to go forward. And that's going to be huge for him. So to me, that's going to be a really major factor. Yeah, 100%. And I think that leads us right into the questions that Valverde has had all season in the approach he takes. And uh, d- different guests in recent weeks uh, since the Man United win, have been we've been having this discussion on whether it's at home first and away second, how that's going to dictate the lineup. Maybe it could be as simple as that, where, as we've seen, Sergio Roberto will start at right back at home, and then it could be Semedo on the road, depending on the result. In, in the same way, it might be Dembele at home and then Coutinho on the road or vice versa. It seems like Coutinho is the favorite to start there at the moment. But I think those are the two areas where, I mean, even in the midfield, Arthur or Vidal, we know it's going to be Busquets and Rakitic. But I understand the argument for starting Vidal. But in the same respect, I think against Liverpool, Barcelona want to dictate possession tactically. And I think Arthur is where you go with that. And then the injection of Arturo Vidal, you know he's going to come off the bench in the same way that Dembele or Semedo Roberto, whichever... Whichever versions of those don't start are going to be the three to come off the bench. So I think you start with Artur in that way. But Dembele against Coutinho is a good one. And then Semedo Roberto is the, the similar argument. And because of Liverpool's reliance on their fullbacks, it makes you wonder if Coutinho isn't the player as opposed to Dembele, and, uh, as opposed to Dembele for Valverde. And that's because I think also Coutinho can offer something... Um... Coutinho also has a knack and he has the ability to also, you know, he's he's perfectly comfortable removing himself from being wide to being more central uh, and vice versa. Not that Dembele isn't, but I think that in a specific scenario, especially when they have the ball, it would be interesting to see how much that front three is going to rotate, right? So when Coutinho plays with that front three, you know, do we see him more centrally and then Messi pushes on the left or right, you know, with Lucho Suarez. Dembele, I think... I think will be more of a situation where how much are you want to threat that opponent fullback. So I, I agree. I think I would also for the mere sake that I think Coutinho is going to want to return to Anfield and make a point, I think. He's going to want to go there and say, you've missed me 
or something like that, especially with Lucho Suarez as well. I don't know. I mean, obviously, Valverde will make his point based on a tactical decision as opposed to a hard one. But, you know, that also has to come in play. But regardless, they have two excellent players in Dembele and Coutinho who could replicate the same thing. Arturo Vidal, listen, I'm Peruvian, so I'm always going to talk about a Chilean player with a little bit of bias, but I'll try not to right here. Arturo, Arturo Vidal is, a, you know... I, I don't see him as a starter for the plain reason that I think that catching up to the rhythm of Liverpool's game will be easier for Artur Melo as opposed to Arturo Vidal. I think that Vidal will need to sort of wait until the possibly 60th minute, 65th minute. Liverpool players' legs are a little tired and he can bring his physicality and his versatility as a box-to-box midfielder in order to sort of create more danger and at the same time protect Right. Whereas Melo, I think from the get-go, can start the rhythm that Barcelona wants to play. That's my thinking. I think that Melo will start this um, definitely from the get-go. Yeah, so we have been kind of tiptoeing around it, but uh, I think let's do it, Luis. We'll do our starting 11s for both teams for this first leg at the Camp No on Wednesday. Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? Why don't you go first, Dan? It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with uh, Barcelona. I think uh, as our discussion is has, has kind of lent itself to. I, I know Coutinho's return to Anfield will be interesting for the second leg, but for me, I think Coutinho gets a start in this first leg with Suarez and Messi up top. And then, as we've been mentioning, it's going to be Artur with Busquets and Rakitic in the midfield, and then a back line at the Camp Nou of Alba, Langley, Piquet, and Roberto with Ter Stegen in net. And then Liverpool, as I kind of had hinted at, is a little bit different. Um, with everybody healthy, and I think you can't believe any of the rumors about Firmino uh, or Salah being too hurt to play in this game. Uh, even if they're at 60%, they will play. And that's how all of the guys that I mentioned here as starters, they will play at 60%. Uh, and it just it means a little more. The semifinal Champions League, no one is going to go out uh, unless they physically can't. So it's I think it's going to be that front three of Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, and Mohamed Salah up top. And then, again, I think Naby Keita is coming on late this season for Liverpool. It took him a little bit of time to get adjusted uh, coming over from Leipzig last season, but Naby Keita has kind of found his form uh, recently. And while he did score against Huddersfield uh, just a few days ago on Friday, again, most people in the Premier League have scored against Huddersfield this year, so that's not that doesn't mean anything, but Keita is seeing the, the goal a little bit better in the second half of the season than they did the first. Jordan Henderson will be there as well as... Uh, as well as uh, Jorginho, uh, Wijnaldum. So I think that'll be the midfield three, Keita, Henderson, Wijnaldum. And then, as you mentioned, Robertson and Alexander-Arnold, those are by far, in a way, the starting left back and right back, respectively, for Liverpool, with Van Dijk as the right center back. And I think the other side of that, though, it could be uh, it could be Lovren, who, as we saw with Modric and Rakitic at the World Cup, that's, again, if you don't watch necessarily the Premier League, you might have seen him at the World Cup there where he you know, was much better than his reputation, which seems to, he seems to have always put himself in, in a bad way where people look at him unfondly. But I think Lovren is just a, a solid option there. Uh, but Joel Matip is the other option. He played in the Bundesliga for a long time. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure the way that, the way that Klopp will go, I I put my money on Lovren, just that he seems to be a guy that is uh, neither Matip or Lovren are particularly mobile. They let Van Dyke and those those uh, the outside backs do so much of the heavy lifting as far as that. But as far as uh, Matip or Lovren, I think he's going to go to Lovren just because of the moment and a, a Champions League semifinal, and then obviously Allison in net. We're very close. Um, 
I think that given the fact that the first leg is at camp now, I'll start with Barcelona. I mean, obviously, Ter Stegen in goal with the same uh, back four that you're talking about, with Sergio Roberto, Pique, Lenglet, and Jordi Alba, the midfield, Busquets, uh, Melo, and Rakitic. With, um, and I'm, I think, I think for this first leg, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with both sides and go with Coutinho, Lucho Suarez, and Messi. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what Valverde is thinking. I wouldn't be surprised if, if um, Dembele started, but I think, given the fact that it's Liverpool, given the history, I think that Coutinho will make this start. Um, and also, I think that it's also because, again, Dembele is somebody that you know can come off in the second half and really create even more damage, uh, you know, if the game's going their way. Because the most important thing for Barcelona to understand here is that as important as scoring is, it's got to make sure that it doesn't concede, right? Right. So, you know, to me, as long as that sort of, if that stays scoreless or Barcelona's winning one nothing and we're entering you know, the, the, the latter stages of the second half, then you can start seeing some changes. But for the moment, I think the most important thing for Valverde is to play the Barcelona way, to play the pass and move, play from the back, and be fast about what they're doing. And I think the best thing to do that is with players who are more comfortable uh, with the ball on their feet and, you know, creating triangles all over the place. So I think that's, that, that's the starting lineup for, for that one. And with Liverpool... I still see. I don't listen. I'll, I'll go from the back. Obviously, Allison in goal. I, I see Robertson on one side, Alexander Arnold on the other one, Van Dyke. I actually see Matip next to Van Dyke in mm-hmm. this one. Um, I thought that he played uh, well against Porto in the second leg. Um, and again, I see that triangle or that that three uh, man midfield with um, Wijnaldum, Henderson, and I, I actually see Fabinho in this one. Um, if you know, and I think that mo- most of the reason is because, to be honest, it's about making sure that Henderson plays the rhythm of the game that he wants, and he's he's allowed to do that if we have more, if they have more mobile players right next to them. And I think that again, uh, both did a good job in the second leg against Porto, and I don't see why Klopp wouldn't think, you know, away from home, this is the way to go. Up front, obviously, Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane. This is the tough one for me here, Dan. I. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm not falling to the rumors of Firmino and how bad is he or if he's hurt. Oh, obviously he'll he, he he'll be fine. I think, but I think that Divo Corrigi could start this one. Um, I think that Jurgen Klopp is thinking that the most important thing is mobility at the top three. Um, mm. Firmino obviously is such a good player when he works with Mane and Salah, but his natural intent to be in the middle of the box and trying to hunt for goals, maybe secondary to Origi's ability to come back and protect. So I think that that might be the change. Um, Again, Origi did a good job against Porto. I think he, he wants to prove himself and probably kill himself for this game. And I think the ability to... Because to me, it's also... For Liverpool's number one thing, I think, when it comes to playing Barcelona in this first leg, is to make sure that they know what they're doing when they don't have the ball. And especially when Ter Stegen and his back four are trying to play from the back. And I see Divock Origi possibly causing a little bit more damage there. 
idea, I think that's really an interesting point, Luis, with Origi, where I think if, if, if Barcelona, Dembele and uh, Origi work in the same thought process here, where bring on Dembele late and Barcelona can take control of the tie and almost put it away at home would just be an incredible and impeccable um, way to go about it. And again, you look back to last year against Roma and even in years past where nothing is fully done until the second leg, sure. Um, but you'll know a tie is is over when you've seen it in the same way that you saw the Barcelona and uh, Man United was over after the first goal in that second leg. And for um, Origi, he's not necessarily been a big game player, but he's been an important player for them. And yeah. he, uh, you know, he's on a spring chicken at 24. And I think people really do, outside of those who follow Liverpool or who follow uh, the top of the Premier League very closely, that Arigi, Arigi is one of those guys that does go under the radar. I think for name recognition, Daniel Sturridge is the one who had so much more name recognition um, other than the, the Belgian striker. And yet, um, I, I think it's a really interesting point that, and it was a surprise, I think, a lot of Barcelona fans to see Origi starting, but I think Luis, you made a really good uh, argument for uh, the the purpose of of that kind of decision if Klopp made that. So I would uh, urge Kules not to be overconfident or to be standing up on the mountains and say, you know, we've won it, we've won it because Origi is starting. That Luis, you really laid out uh, why he would be a dangerous force for Liverpool. But speaking of dangerous forces, uh, Sergio Busquets has long been a dangerous force for Barcelona in that midfield, and not in the goal scoring kind of way, but in every other kind of way. And I think it's a perfect transition to La Entrevista where um, we're going to have the link down in the show notes. You can click on if you want to read the article first and then hear our conversation, or you can hear our conversation, then read the article. Uh, I want them to work kind of in tandem with each other. Um, But recently, Luis, you were able to speak with Sergio Busquets for the duration of an entire day. Uh, And I think the place to start here is not necessarily what we talk about on the field, but what is Busquets like? What is his personality like? And uh, we always, with the world of social media, we try to get into the weeds, but still Busquets in the world of social media is quite quiet and you don't really know what's going on under the hood there. Dan, thank you so much uh, for, for really sharing and, and, and giving some great praise on the piece. I really appreciate it. Uh, to be honest, it's mainly because Busquets is such a great interviewee and he gave me so much good content. Busquets is, uh, the best way to describe him is exactly what you see on the field. He is humble, he's quiet, he completely wants to pivot and praise other teammates as opposed to himself, and he's very cerebral about the game and the way that he wants to approach it. So the interview very much went like that. It was, you know, at the very beginning of the conversation, I I said to him that I want you to not think about this as an interview because because this was, you know, the conversation was... Um, you know, during the stages of the Champions League, you know, there was no, you're going to win this kind of thing. You know, there still was a lot, you know, the La Liga hadn't been won yet. There was still a lot on his mind. So to me, the conversation really was about his own personal views. And this is all thanks to, you know, to my editor, uh, Avi Creditor, who really like helped me sort of direct the conversation because this really was about him and his life with the club he's only known as a professional and how it's changed in the last 11 seasons. Um, And that basically catapulted itself into just a great, deep conversation about Barcelona, his teammates, the future, himself, and how he approaches not just the game, but life, and life as a player in Barcelona. And he is 
everything that you think in terms of the way that he sees Barcelona, how much he loves Barcelona, but also what he, how he sees himself in the team, which is as the unsung hero. This is me putting words into his mouth. He never called himself a hero. He called himself, I see myself as still, you know, it's true, I don't dribble, I don't score that many, many amazing goals, but, you know, I still myself, I still see myself as a valuable member of the team. And to me, that was just like, valuable member of the team, Sergio Busquets, you're an absolute yeah. legendary Barcelona player. Like the, the, the humbleness of his answers were so great, but there's a lot of depth and detail to them. And that's, that's thanks, I think, to the fact that I wanted to remove myself from the fact that it was an quote unquote interview, right? I wanted it to be a conversation about the beautiful game, um, a club like Barcelona and what he means to them and what they mean to him. And, and, you know, when you look at Busquets, we think of him and people will always see his career as at the, the, the height of the Guardiola Barcelona and Spain winning the World Cup and the Euros. And that is when in the way the modern game was played, it was he was such a trendsetter. And he that really, I think, would, would be the peak of his powers. And yet at that time, he was still in his early to mid 20s. And I mean, he's mm. still he's still just turning 30 years old. And so how do you think his game as the modern game has evolved when it seemed like the game went from the defensive midfielder that you think about first is Sergio Busquets and that's what everyone wants to emulate. And it kind of in a way I think has turned into um, whether it was with Leicester or, or now it seems like Nicola Conte with France, obviously it seems like he's the defensive midfielder that almost sets the standard for what you think of in a defensive midfielder and their characteristics. So I would ask as the game has changed, how has his game changed over the course of not just Guardiola, but five managers uh, and over this more than a decade? Yeah, you know, it's a really good question. And it's one that I that I asked him and his answer was kind of amazing. He basically said, listen, to be honest with you, when I look at my game and how it's changed or what I've given from the moment I entered the first team, thanks to Pep Guardiola to now, it honestly hasn't. Um, if you look very carefully, obviously physically, He's had to um, match up to what's going up against him. But the fundamental aspects of his game have never changed. Um, he's still looking to protect his defenders. He's still looking to sort of create a mini kingdom in the midfield. And thanks to the genius of Lionel Messi um, you know, and other creative players, he's looking to sort of give that that through ball that can help push the team move into the final third. And yes, of course, players change, they get older, maybe they adjust something to their technicality. But when you look at Busquets, he really hasn't changed any of his philosophies. And that's not just thanks to him and the work that he has put in, but because of the Barcelona philosophy that, as you said, he's gone through different managers from Pep Guardiola to you know, Valverde, you know, players that bring, managers that bring different philosophies. But he said, even though I went through all these managers, every single manager that's come to Barcelona understands the Barcelona way. Not, and I'm not just talking about tiki-taka or possession-based soccer. I'm talking about the education of Barcelona and how players that want to be protagonists, players that are comfortable with the ball, players that want to move the ball to the goal, and I, I mean goal in terms of a metaphor, right? 
these are the kinds of things that every manager that he has uh, worked under understand. So when they enter Barcelona, they know the product. Mm -hmm. They don't try and change the product. They try and mold the product into something slightly modern or different in accordance to what they believe, but they never change it. They never get rid of it. The philosophy is always the same. It's always the same book, right? And that's something that Busquets has been very thankful for. And that's why he stayed here, because he's been able to adjust, you know, very little, because the Barcelona education and the Barcelona philosophy has never left him or the managers that came with him. You mentioned N'Golo Kante, one of my favorite players, a tremendous player, but he's very different sometimes in many ways to how Sarri coaches him, to how Didier Deschamps coaches him in France, right? So Busquets has been lucky that he's never had to deal with that. When he plays even with Spain, you know, Vicente del Bosque understood that and so did Luis Enrique, who's now the manager now. So, you know, there is something to be said about a manager that comes in to a new club and doesn't, even though he or she wants to put their own sort of touch in it, does not deviate from the true essence of a club just like Barcelona. And that's why Busquets has never really sort of changed. It's always been there. Obviously, he's been sort of fortuitous enough to be in a in a role where he really doesn't need to change that much. If he was a right winger or a left winger, obviously, we're talking about pace and ability to cross or physicality. But being sort of the, um, you know, the unsung hero or just like... Um, we say in the piece, uh, Barcelona's insurance policy, it's always been beneficial to him, and it's a beautiful thing to see. Well, one of those protagonists, as you were mentioning, one of those guys who's going to need to get an education soon is Frankie <coughs> de Young, who will be arriving this summer. And I, I saw that he was mentioned in your piece. And what did Busquets say? And obviously, as a player, you're excited to see a talented teammate come in. But what did Busquets say in reference to what Frankie de Jong's arrival might mean for Busquets, but also what uh, de Jong's arrival and being able to learn from Busquets could mean for de Jong's game? Yeah, he's very excited. I mean, Busquets is very excited about it because he, um, as I told you, that when you, when you speak to him, you, you sense this um, humility in him and the main reason why he's excited is because he's a player that not only fits the Barcelona way, but um, now he sees an heir to what Busquets was able to give for 10 seasons, 11 seasons. And um, one of the things that he's very happy about is the fact that, you know, the young is a player that, you know, obviously Ajax has gone through such an amazing season, but you know, let's not forget that Ajax also has an academy very similar to La Masia. So, you know, th that's something that really excited him to, to have a player that um, not only is, you know, able on the, on the pitch and such a, you know, good player on the ball. You know, he spoke so highly of his abilities with, with the ball, you know, at such a young age. Uh, but what really excited him was the fact that he could tell that somebody like the young has really gone through similar education as him and that's you know something that we always think about when we think about uh the game i mean ix's success in the champions league this season is not a coincidence in many ways it's a it's a tremendous amount of effort from the education that they have gotten from their academy and how the club 
sort of philosophizes itself. And Barcelona is exactly the same way. And that's why Busquets is so excited. Having said that, he's not naive. He knows that he is his, you know, predecessor. He's sorry. Yeah, successor. He's, um, yeah, yeah. Successor. Sure. Yep, for sure. Right. Um, so that to me was something interesting where he's like, I know that, he, you know, I'm not naive. I know that he's going to come as my successor. And, you know, but that excites him because he, he has the soccer brain, not just as a player, but as a teacher. And, and, and he's very excited about it. Yeah, and I think that, that it's not that he feels like his time at Barcelona is ending soon as Cesar comes in. As I mentioned, he, I mean, he's still just, a, a, you know, that, that mark of 30 might mean the decline, but that mark of 30 still could mean you have quite a few more years remaining. And so, you know, does it seem like as he looks back on all the career he's already had, uh, again, still has quite a bit left to give most likely i think this is a twofold question it'll be the last one that we wrap up entrevista with but um one did he give you any indication or does it seem like he's already considering what's next in his career not necessarily this season or even next season but uh what the next step could be in the same way that we debated whether iniesta would go to japan or would end his career at barcelona and same thing will will messi eventually go back to newell's old boys like he's always promised or will he just end out his career at barcelona or you know, or very, very, very less likely will he, you know, find some other new challenge for a year or two, which again, I, I don't see happening. But anyway, for Busquets, is it something he's given indication for or potentially going to coaching then? Uh, and then in the second part of that, how will he then be remembered? And, you know, as he already has such a legacy and he's still just, again, <laughs> you know, at that 30 year old mark, um, how will he be remembered at Barcelona? He won't be remembered as fondly, I, I think, as Xavi and Iniesta. He'll be in that next tier down. But I, that's when I asked him, what type of player, what level of player in world football do you think he'll be compared and grouped together with? It seems like, you know, you you, you mention all these great players from the previous decade. Then when they say midfielders, they say, oh, we talk about Xavi and we talk about Iniesta and uh, Lampard and Gerard and Pirlo. And there seems to be a list in categorizing players. And yet Busquets never seems to be on any of those lists. They don't really ever seem to categorize him with any group of players. And so I, I find his future is interesting because we don't know what his decline is going to look like in the same way that he's an enigma in in how we're going to even remember him at Barcelona. And I think it's uh, it just it, it makes your it makes trying to understand Busquets that much more difficult because it's so hard to predict his future because we've not ever been able to predict his career up to this point even. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's start with the first part of your question. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, we, we, yeah, we talked about his future. And one of the things that he said was, listen, I don't want to feel like I'm going to be in Barcelona for 20 years as a secondary player. I, you know, when I'm here, it's because I deserve to be here and I'm giving it my all mentally, physically, and I'm able to contribute to, to the team. So he knows that, you know, so he's very aware physically or, or, and mentally of where, where he is. His contract, I believe, runs out in 2023, I think. Uh, but so he sees probably two, maybe three more seasons. I wouldn't say any more than that. Um, and I didn't even bring this up. I just I just said, what's the future for Sergio Busquets? And, and he said that, you know, he's very uh, intrigued by the U.S., He's a fan of, of the United States as a nation and, you know, and enjoys, you know, coming here, I guess, on vacation and on tours, etc. 
um, obviously his partner Elena and two kids also come with him when, when, when he can, but he's very interested in the United States. He's very interested in Major League Soccer and the way that the game is evolving here, uh, the growth of the league itself. Um, and I didn't add any words in his mouth. All I said was, what's the future for you? And that's the first thing that he said. Um, we did talk about, you know, Iniesta's, Andres's trips to Japan and, you know, Xavi and Qatar and stuff. And, you know, United States was somewhere that he, that he thought. So you, you might see Sergio Busquets in the U.S. in the future. It, it might be something that, 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 we, that we could see. Um, I, you know, I joked about, you know, what about, uh, you know, David Beckham's into Miami and he joked, well, my, you know, my kids would like the beach, that's for sure. So, you know, but, you know, take, you know, that was just a joke. I don't think anybody should uh, be reporting that he's heading there. Right? Yeah, yeah, they've <laughs> but, got, um, they got some lawsuits on their own to figure out before uh, they worry about players <laughs> and recruitment. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so the MLS is a place that, that he really likes and, and, and he also enjoys the idea of the playoff format, you know, the way that the, 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 Basically, the winner is decided at the end by a playoff situation. Obviously, that's not something that happens in, Euro in European domestic competition in leagues, um, at least in the major ones, uh, Spain, England, and, and what have you. So the U.S. is somewhere he likes. The second part of your question, I think, is a great one. And before I was a, you know, I worked with SI or, or I did any kind of uh, soccer writing or, 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 you know, TV or digital presenting, I was, uh, you know, I've, I've been a fan of the game since I was since I was a little kid, and I, I played it to a pretty high level. But I also coached it a lot, and I've always been fascinated um, by, almost obsessed by players who are not necessarily known for their physical attributes, right? For how talented they are and what they do with the ball, obviously. Obviously, that is impressive. But to me, what's more impressive, and that's what we call it the beautiful game, is how you meet sometimes players who are so good that they do the simple things beautifully. And Barcelona is the quintessential club for this. You know, I believe, I think it was Leonardo da Vinci that said it. It's not completely confirmed, but, you know, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And to me, Barcelona is a great example of that. And Sergio Busquets is its main protagonist. I think that, you know, when we talk about players that won't be, he won't be recognized as much as Iniesta or Xavi or other players like that, it doesn't matter. And I don't think he cares. And I don't think we should. And I think it should stay like that. I think it should stay as Sergio Busquets being the quiet, unsung hero who didn't do the things that made you want to DVR the highlights, but instead they made you remember the whole 90 minutes. It's, it, just, it always goes back to that Vicente del Bosque quote. If you watch Busquets, if you watch the game, you won't see Busquets, but if you watch Busquets, you'll see the whole game. And that, to me, is what's so impressive about him. The fact that he does everything, almost everything, to perfection. Very simple, very smart, very creative, but without anybody noticing. So when we talk about Lionel Messi, who is obviously, to me, the greatest player that's ever lived, um, and when we talk about all these other incredible players that have graced Barcelona, like Ronaldinho, uh, you know, Thierry Henry, Ibrahimovic, but you know, all these other talents, 
there's always been one constant, one heartbeat. And to me, a player like Sergio Busquets is basically that, the consistent heartbeat that just keeps going and going and going. And that's why we love this game because of the beauty and the simplicity of the beauty of it. And, you know, we should be lucky to have players like Busquets and we should have more of them, to be honest, because it really, if you have a child and you want to help him or her learn this game, you don't tell them to look at a 35-yard volley. You look at, you tell them to look at somebody like Sergio Busquets and the way that he moves and the way that he passes the ball. And that, to me, is his legacy. The fact that he made this game this beautiful game more beautiful. Well, when it comes to learning the game, uh, some of the things that I think we've learned today people could do is follow you uh, wherever they can find you, Luis. And so I just want to ask, where else can people find your work? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm on Twitter at LMEchegaray. Uh, I'm sure uh, that nobody will be able to spell that. So it's L-M-E-C-H. E-G-A-R-A-Y or uh, I'm trying to build my Instagram Dan I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to be more positive and and be more positive anybody can follow me on Luis M Echegaray on Instagram but Twitter is really mainly where where you can see my stuff and uh, I really appreciate this uh, I love talking about the beautiful game Barcelona and what you do is great and I really uh, I hope uh, you know more success to you Thank you. We appreciate having you on the show as well. And uh, if you tap in our show notes, you can just, again, click on his name. It'll send you right to his Twitter. And then you can, again, find him on IG and all those different places, Sports Illustrated, Planet Football, all the different places you can find Luis. And you can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me. We're on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group, where if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll hear our listener questions. That's where we get them from, tbpod.link backslash group. There's also deeper dives and discussions. You can help us out on Patreon. We can also find our match reviews from all these different matches. They come out on our Patreon for as low as a dollar, three dollars, whatever, whatever may have you. TBPod.link backslash Patreon. Again, all this stuff is in the show notes. We're also on YouTube now at the Barcelona Podcast. We've got a lot of content coming up in the future where it's going to be just on YouTube even. So you can head over to our YouTube channel. It's just the Barcelona Podcast. Find us there. Check us out. Hit that subscription button. And again, all that's in the show notes for you. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. So until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for the Barca. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. They call you the Grill Master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event. Now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, 
Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.